Before we read scripture and I begin my, my sermon, let's uh, turn together in your bulletins to the prayer for illumination. Remember, this is our Psalms for the Summertime series. Through, so through the, whole, through the whole sermon series, we're going to be praying this prayer for illumination as an introduction to our preaching. Let's pray together. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your book. Lord, open my heart that your truth would be my joy and my delight. Lord, open my mind that you would show me the way to live. Guide me by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we kicked off our Psalms for the Summertime series by looking at uh, Psalm 1. And Psalm 1, as you remember, uh, made that, started the whole book of the Psalms out with that foundational proclamation about the way of the world, made that true statement about the way the world is, said that those who delight in the law, in the works, and the ways of the Lord were like trees that were planted by streams of water, and everything they do will flourish. And not so the wicked. The wicked were like chaff that the wind was going to blow away. That is a foundationally true statement. That's probably why it's at the beginning of, of the Psalms. It's foundationally true. But if we're honest, it also sounds like a psalm that was written on a sunny day when God was in his heaven and all was right with the world. Uh, today we go to the other end of the Psalms, a very different kind of mood, Psalm 74. It's a very different psalm for a very different sort of day. It is a psalm of lament. It is a psalm of hard questions and cries of pain. And um, there's something very specific, there's a very specific source of that pain for the psalmist. You can identify exactly what day or what season this was written in. I'm not going to tell you that ahead of time, but as we read it, see if you can see in the psalm, we get clues in the psalm to figure out exactly what the trouble is that causes the psalmist to lament. Let's read Psalm 74. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the nation that you purchased long ago, the people of your inheritance whom you redeemed, Mount Zion, where you dwelt. Turn your step towards these everlasting ruins, all this destruction the enemy has brought on the sanctuary. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They set up standards as signs. They behave like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and their hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush them completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. And we're given no signs from God. No prophets are left. And no one knows how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? 
Why do you hold back your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. But God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power and broke the head of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the head of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up the springs and the streams and dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and the moon. It was you who set the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. Remember how your enemy has mocked you, Lord. How foolish people have reviled your name. Do not hand over the life of your dove to the wild beasts and do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. Have regard for your covenant because the haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. Do not let the oppressed retreat in disgrace. May the poor and needy praise your name. Rise up, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how fools mock you all day long. Do not ignore the clamor of your adversaries, the uproar of your enemies, which rises continually. This is the word of the Lord. So I think you heard that um, while well, Psalm 1 proclaims very confidently the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away, uh, the psalmist of Psalm 74 is absolutely not so sure. What has shaken the psalmist's confidence in the, the good proclamation of, of Psalm 1? What has put him in this place? I wonder if you could tell the event behind this, and I think pretty clearly that event was the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians in 587 BC. When the psalmist talks in, in verse 3 of standing in the everlasting ruins, I think that those are the ruins. It's the ruins of Jerusalem that he's standing in, and specifically, he's standing in the ruins of the temple. I mean, as he writes, you can almost imagine him standing where the temple had once been, and as he, as he sits there, as he looks out over the destruction, all the sights and sounds come back to him. He can hear the roar of the enemy soldiers as they came into town, and he can see the bodies of friends and neighbors lying in the streets. He can hear the sound of the axes that the Babylonians used as they smashed all the gilded paneling in the temple, and then the acrid smoke that rose after they dumped it all in a pile and burned it down. And worst of all, he can still see those careless hands pick up the Ark of the Covenant that no one is supposed to touch, pick it up and carry it away as if it were a trinket. And then in its place, plant the standard of Babylon, the Babylonian flag, right in the middle of the place where the temple used to be, the ultimate act of desecration. So the psalmist stands there, Psalm 74 stands there, and these things come to his mind. He laments them. And Psalm 1 just doesn't work for him in that place. Psalm 1 cannot be the song he sings in that place, and so he sings a new song. And it's not tidy, and it's full of pointed questions. God, how long are you going to let evil mock you? How long are you going to let your enemies have the upper hand? How long are your people going to be weak? Lord, how long before your prophets speak? We can't even hear you, Lord. 
We can hear the roar of your enemies. That comes through loud and clear. But the prophets, when are we going to hear your voice? To me, the most pointed verse is verse 11. When he says, uh, God, why do you hold back your hand, take it out from the folds of your garments and destroy them? If you were to update those words, and if you heard my meditation on, on I believe it went out Thursday, if you heard my, the, uh, the, the devotionals that we're doing before these sermons, if you were to update those words, it's like God is saying, or it's, or it's like the psalmist is saying, God, take your hand out of your pocket. Do something. Don't just sit there. Don't you see what's happening? Take your hand out of your pockets and do something. Now that's a remarkable thing to say to God in a sanctified prayer. You've heard a lot of pastoral prayers in your day. Have you ever heard a pastoral prayer where the person who was praying said, God, take your hands out of your pockets? Me neither. But that's where this Holy Spirit-inspired psalm goes. Now, we've never experienced in our lifetime anything like the Babylonian invasion of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. That's not in our realm of experience as a group. But as individuals, I think, we have experienced things. We've been in a place that's pretty close to where this psalmist is. What is the temple for Israel? The temple is the sense of God's presence, right? It's the place where God plugs into the nation. And so when the temple is destroyed, it's like the nation of Israel is unplugged, right? Like the power leaves it. Things are different now with respect to the temple, but all of us in our own lives have people in our lives who are very important to us as instruments of the presence of God. Sometimes these are our parents. Sometimes this is a spouse. Sometimes this is a really good friend. But these are people who are really important to our faith in that they nurtured us in our faith when we grew up. And still today, when, when things are bad, they're the ones we call. When we need advice, we go to them. When we need comfort, we go to them. Their lives are like a temple of God's Holy Spirit, right? That's a good biblical metaphor. They're like a temple of the Holy Spirit for us. And then suddenly, too soon, while we still need them, they're taken away cancer. Cancer comes in like a marauding army with an axe and chops down their interior organs. Chemo burns them and they're gone. And you are left with a loneliness and a grief that just won't go away. Some people seem to get through it. You don't. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. You keep feeling it. And it makes no sense. Lord, why would you let this happen? Why would you let anyone do this? Why would you let cancer get away with this? Everybody loved this person. This person was still important. Why did you do this? Lord, take your hands out of your pockets. None of us have experienced exactly what the psalmist experienced. But many of us will find ourselves in the same spiritual place, facing the same spiritual thing. Psalm 74 is written for that place. Psalm 74 is written out of that place. Psalm 74 is given to us by the Holy Spirit as a way to form us in that place. Now what is the Holy Spirit trying to do to us through a lament psalm like Psalm 74? How does it help us in those moments of deep crisis when we're in deep lament? 
with a couple things. Um, first, let's think about those words that I think are the most pointed in the Psalms, God, take your hands out of your pockets, right? I think that's the low point for the, the poet here. Um, maybe it sounds like blasphemy to you. Maybe it sounds like that's no way to talk to God. But when you think about it for a little longer than that, you realize that these words are actually a sign of deep relationship and closeness with God. And let me explain that. Years ago, uh, when I was still a parent of middle schoolers, that was a lot of years ago, I joined the Grand Rapids Christian Middle School families, kids, going up to Sleeping Bear Dunes. They go up to Sleeping Bear Dunes, uh, I think it's the eighth graders, or maybe it's the seventh graders, I can't remember. But I went up with my, one of my kids and spent a few days up there. It was a really warm day in May. I remember it well. We had a lot of fun. As part of that trip, the, the, the National Park Rangers had us go into a field and do a service project. And the service project was uprooting a lot of invasive species. They wanted us to take these invasive species out so that the native species could grow. And so we were going to go there for a couple hours in the hot sun and, and uproot these things. So we got out there, we're giving our instructions, and I started uprooting, and most, most of the kids started uprooting, but there were a few covenant children, <laughs> beloved of the Lord, who, who were less industrious, right? They were goofing off. They weren't, they weren't uprooting. They were yakking and laughing, and they had their hands in their pockets. Now, do you think I said anything to them? No, I didn't know those kids. For all I knew, their parents were on the trip. And then what my place to say something, and you know, the teachers know, I, I don't know those kids, I'm not gonna say anything. So I didn't, I just sort of quietly thought, eh. <laughs> But now imagine this, and I know you're, all you parents here are on the same page. Imagine it was your kids. If it was my kid, it wasn't. But if it was my kid, slacking off, would I have said something to him? You betcha I would have said something to him. Hey, one of you two beauties uh, stop yakking over there and, and get your hands out of your pockets and start pulling up a few weeds. They're not going to uproot themselves. I would have been very direct. Why? Because I have a relationship with them. I love them. I'm close with them. Now, parents also know that that, that comes back on you later in life. Your kids will say things to you that no one else will say. Dad, do you realize that uh, you are ridiculously impatient when you drive? Do you realize that, Dad? Huh, that's funny. Most of the people I drive with never say anything like that to me. That's because my kids love me. And they're close to me and they'll tell me the truth. Is this psalm pointed? Is it hard? Is it direct? Yes, but it's also deeply personal. It's the words of someone whose life is deeply tied up with God. Think about it. After the calamity, just put yourself in that position. After the calamity of an army completely destroying your world, destroying your temple, there are all kinds of things that an individual in Jerusalem could choose to do. That individual could curse God, like Job's wife, and say, you know what, I'm done with God. He let this happen, forget it. I'm going over the Babylonians. That's where the money and power are. I'm going to put my lot in with them, collaborate, figure out how to survive. Or curse God. You know, I'm, it's all about economics. I'm done with God. I'm, for, I'm done with all this piety stuff. It obviously didn't get us anywhere. It's all economics for me. I'm just going to figure out how to survive. Or turn to drink, right? Numb the pain. But he doesn't do that. 
What does he do? He prays. Is it a pointed prayer? Yes, it is, but he's praying. He goes to God. Why? Because his whole life is intertwined with God. His hope is in God all day long. God is all he had. It's all he's ever had. It's all he ever will have. God is his God for better or worse, for richer or poor, as long as he shall live. It's that kind of relationship. All the Psalms of Lament in Scripture can be really pointed and direct. But ultimately, they're the signs of people who have a deep, intimate closeness with God that extends into their times of trouble. That's the first thing that the Psalm does, I think, and the way it forms us and helps us. This is the second thing that the Psalm does, actually to keep us rooted by that stream that Psalm 1 talks about. Remember that this psalm is not just a poem of an individual who experienced something. It's also part of a book that's given to us, right? So the psalm is two levels. There's the, the first person who wrote it and what he experienced when he was in the disaster in Jerusalem. But there's also the experience of, of this is a book of poetry, a book of prayers given to the church to use. God wants us to pray these things every day, regardless of our moods, regardless of, of what kind of place that we're in. The Psalms are something we're supposed to meditate on and think on. The Holy Spirit wants us to have these words, Psalm 74, form us, even on days when we feel pretty good. Now, how does that form us? How does that help us? The Psalms train us in proper habits of mind. Think about how a psalm of praise works. On your ordinary days, what are the things that occupy your mind? Your default, the default things that occupy your mind. It's your worries, it's your responsibilities. I gotta get groceries, I gotta pick up the kids, I gotta go to the doctor's appointment. Those are the things that will fix our minds on regular days. But if you are trained to go to the psalm of praises regularly, um, those psalms lift up your eyes above those things and remind you that these responsibilities are not the center of your life. Your life is protected and hemmed in by this God who is good and who loves you and will take care of you no matter what. It lifts up your eyes from these anxieties and forms a habit of mind to see God as your protector and your provider through your life. The Psalms of Lament also train us, train our habit of mind. If we pray these psalms, if we learn these psalms, if we study these psalms, if we preach on these psalms on days when we feel pretty good, it will train us for the day when trouble comes. It will train us for the day when we feel like this psalmist. And that day will come for all of us somewhere in our life. And on that day we will know, having studied this psalm, that this sort of experience, this shattering experience that we're having is not outside the realm of faith. This is what happens on the road of faith. This is what happens to people. This too is part of the journey. This too is in the, this is in the encircled by God's providence. Because we've studied Psalm 74 and Psalm 13 and Psalm 44 in our good times, we will know that the dark night of the soul has always been part of human experience. And it doesn't mean you're not beloved of God. And it will also train us that when the day of trouble comes, God wants you to let him have it. God wants you to let him have it. And I mean that in both senses of the word, right? When the day of trouble comes, the Psalms of Lament say, 
Throw your anger at God. Give it to God. Be as raw as you actually feel. If you feel like God needs to take out of his hands, out of his pockets, say that. Let him have it. But also, let him have it. Give it to him. Give it to him, but give it to him. Put it in his arms and in his providence. He doesn't want you to keep it inside where it will ferment into bitterness. He doesn't want you to sublimate it and take it out on the people around you. He wants you to throw it at him. And in that respect, Psalm 74 and all the Psalms of Lament in Scripture anticipate the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what happened on the cross? On the cross, humanity threw all of it at Jesus. All the hatred, all the violence, all the confusion, all the perplexing questions, and most of all, all the sins of the world are thrown at Jesus, and in mercy, he takes them in and swallows up sin and death forever. Which reminds me and reminds us all that as sharp as that prayer to take your hands out of your pockets is, in Jesus Christ, God does take his hands out of his pockets. He doesn't take it out in the fist of a fighter or the clasped sword of a warrior. He takes it out and he blesses and he heals and he finally receives the nails and all the sins of the world. An act of everlasting mercy by which we are all saved. Life is hard sometimes. Psalms are brutally honest about that. Sometimes life is unbearably hard. God is good, and he is strong, and he will save. Amen. Lord, you know the cries of every individual heart here. You know that there are people here that are not so very far away from where the psalmist of Psalm 74 is, was. Thank you, Lord, that you come even to this place and speak a word of grace there. Lord, you are our God. Our hope is in you all day long. You are, you, you have been, and you will be the one who walks with us. And we throw our lot in with you. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.